Hey lovelies, before we get started, I want to let you know that the pre-orders for my new design, the slip dress, and a new custom design print of the blossom dress are open now. Pre-ordering guarantees you get the size and colors you want without any launch day stress or jitters because quantities will be limited once I do bring inventory in. I'm placing the order at the factory on Tuesday, so the pre-order will close that morning, probably around 9.30 or so. All the info about both styles is front and center on impactfashionnyc.com. If you go there and still see the pre-order product right there, you can still get in on the fun. Another note before we start. My guest today, Alyssa Hellman, is a board-certified OBGYN, and we discuss her work and the importance of awareness related to women's health. I think this episode is actually a great way to introduce your preteen daughters to some of the concepts that we discuss, but that's your decision to make. You may want to listen through this first on your own before having them or young children listen. Enjoy the show. Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with an OBGYN about the assumptions doctors make about orthodox patients. She shares tips for getting over the stress and nervousness of going to the gynecologist, the safe place that is her office, and the things we should all know about how our bodies work. Alyssa Hellman comes across as that all-knowing older sister, your mom, and cool teacher all wrapped up in one. A board-certified OBGYN who's dedicated to spreading awareness and education around women's health, she is someone who plainly speaks about sometimes awkward topics in a really approachable way. I was kind of nerdy. Um, (laughs) I was a like really, really good in school. I was a good student, teacher's pet, um, which I'm kind of like embarrassed about, but hey, you know, I guess it got me to where I am today. Um, And um, yeah, just kind of chill and crafty and read a lot and yeah, kind of nerdy, but that's okay. What what made you embarrassed (laughs) about being a teacher's pet? You know, like kids are kind of mean, so they know like when, when you're the favorite. I mean, we're talking like kindergarten and second grade. Like it's not, you know, I try not to be obnoxious about it, but you know. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) That was 100. That was 100 percent. Like, yeah, I I'm very much in that box with you. Um, So occasionally I will ask people who they want to hear on the show and then I will get a whole list of people. And generally when that happens, I put that list somewhere and I forget to look at it for a very long time because I'm disorganized that way. Um, And every single time when I ask people who they want to have on the show, and by the way, if you're listening to this and there's someone um, who you think I should talk to or a topic that you think I should cover, feel free to send me an email and I'll definitely... Um, and I'll definitely see if that's something we can arrange. Your name always comes up on those lists. Always. I've done this so several times and your name always comes up. And I'm kind of embarrassed that it took me this long to get my act together and finally just reach out and be like, hi, you should come. Um, and a lot of people know you as the confident Kala um, on Instagram. And I, first of all, I feel like you should just tell everyone a little bit about what you do, who you are. And then let's, let's dive in because this is one of my favorite topics to to talk about and I think it's so important yeah well thank you so much for having me it's it it makes me happy that people like know who I am um so I am a 
board certified OBGYN. So just like your regular old, like delivering babies, doing pap smears, treating yeast infections, you know, kind of like run of the mill. Um, and I'm also an Orthodox Jew. So I am familiar with um, the laws in Jewish law of what that means for a Jewish woman who is sexually active in regards to her periods and bleeding pattern and contraceptive choices and family planning. Um, and, you know, there aren't a lot of gynecologists out there who maybe fully understand that um, and what that means when someone has an issue with those medical situations. So um, I get it because I'm, I'm both, right, doctor and from um, woman. And, you know, I definitely saw a need to um, like have an, a way for Orthodox Jewish women to be able to have those discussions and get information that they may not have gotten from their like regular doctors who they go to in the office. They may not have that full understanding. There may be a lot of um, like assumptions that are just there because someone walks into an office as an Orthodox Jew. Oh, you don't want birth control. You want to have a hundred babies. You know, not everyone feels that way. So it's just a way from for, um, people to kind of get that understanding. So, um, you know, all this kind of came about during COVID, right? Lovely COVID, mm -hmm. where like our world became virtual. Um, and, you know, I do have to give credit to my husband. We were talking kind of at the beginning of COVID and we were just kind of like, oh, we're home a lot. Like we can have big conversations. Let's kind of like look at our finances and plan. And I had found this investment I was excited about. And he's like, why don't you just take that money and like invest it in yourself? And I'm like, wow, like no one's ever said that to me before. And I'm totally not the kind of person who would have done something like that. And he's definitely more like the businessy go-getter kind of person. So like when he said that, like this light bulb went out and I'm like, okay, like, can I do this? Like, maybe I could. So, you know, I started looking into the logistics of starting a telemedicine practice. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it's like working out really nicely. Um, and I definitely find that there is this need and there is this niche of, you know, what, what can I do as a Orthodox Jew in obstetrics and gynecology to kind of like, you know, help my community. Um, so I have a telemedicine practice called the Confident Kala. Kala means bride in Hebrew. Um, and the reason I chose that name is I really feel like regardless of if you're a Kala or not, you should have the confidence um, that you are making the right choices, medical choices for yourself, for where you are in your life. And, you know, a lot of this kind of starts out in the Kala phase, like right when you're getting married and you're thinking about, you know, contraceptive issues, pregnancy, birth control, um, sexual, you know, now that you're kind of entering the sexual part of your life, if you haven't had sex before you're married. Um, and so that's kind of why I put in that Kala part, but it's so applicable like to everyone and everyone who is a woman and has a vagina, right? Can I say that here? You definitely um, can. Okay, great. We have um, done many episodes yes. where we have said vagina many times. Feel free okay. to use whatever well, terms like, you need. In my phone, like my autocorrect, it, it, you know, I have to be careful because that word comes <laughs> up a lot. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's really like it kind of, I think people kind of enter, start thinking about these things when they, when they are in that Kala phase of their life, but it's so applicable like through menopause, even after. Um, so I have a telemedicine practice that I actually, because I kind of work 
my regular job during the day and sometimes at night too, but my, my office hours are usually uh, more in the evenings or on weekends, kind of where I'm, where I'm able to, um, it's nice because I can set my own hours if I know like I'll have someone in labor or something like that. Um, so it, it, um, it works out really nice. So that's what I do, telemedicine and regular. So how is your telemedicine practice different from your regular OB practice? Cause like, I I'm just assuming like when you go to an OB, you know, you have like the table with the stirrups and they tell you to scoot all the way down until you feel like you're falling off. And then, yeah. And then, you know, you get examined and then they tell you, you know, this is, I presume that you can't do that virtually that there's right. like a, there's a, there's a, there has to be a cap on what you can do virtually. No. Right. So basically anything that needs an exam in gynecology, I can't do. And, you know, telemedicine like exploded with COVID. Um, And, you know, if someone has like a bump on their hand, like put your hand up to the camera and great, you can kind of, you know, assess it, do like a brief exam and, and, you know, any experienced doctor should be able to kind of identify, right? I can't do that with vulvas. I can't do that with vaginas. Um, You know, most of, of a, most female anatomy is internal, right? Even if people put their crotch up to the screen, that really wouldn't work for me. Um, so, you know, I did also, I right, do not do any exams. Um, but what I found was, especially um, having or seeing Kalas or brides who are super nervous about like their first gynecologic exam. And really they just want to like make sure that their period isn't, you know, coming at their wedding. And so what can we do like to manipulate that? Um, and, you know, I'd see them in my office and I'd be like, Hey, like, can we do an exam? I, you know, if it's painful, I'll stop, you know, there's no pressure here, but I think it's a good idea just so you kind of get the deal and like know what that's about. And, and so many are so nervous and so scared. And even though I still think first choice should be like, yes, this is a good idea. You know, I never want to pressure anyone. So all they really need to do was like have a conversation with me and make sure that like, you know, their hormonal, whatever schedule and cycle and manipulation is going to work out for their wedding date. And all they need to do is talk. Right. Um, and so the telemedicine platform in gynecology gives that opportunity um, where, you know, if, especially if like what's holding you back from going to a gynecologist and getting the information you need is your fear of an exam. Okay. I have a way for you to do that without feeling like super pressured or forced into an exam, even though it's still a good idea. But that's also something that like I can talk about with, with women who are scared of that. And then eventually like wherever they are locally, you know, they can get to a point where they may feel more comfortable or realize like, Hey, this is something I should do for me. And it's maybe not as scary as it sounds. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that you bring it up because, so I happen to be very fortunate in the fact that my mom was pretty open about these kinds of things. And my first OB appointment was not right before I got married. That was not my first experience. I had gone previously. And before I went for the first time, I went with my mom and she, and what she said was, she was like, this will be awkward. This will be probably among the most awkward things you ever do. But I promise you that there will come a point in your life where this will feel like going to the dentist. It will, it will be uncomfortable. It won't be the thing that you're like looking forward to, but it's just a routine thing that has to happen. And you got to go every year and you got to make like, don't let this fall by the wayside. This is important. And there will come a point in time when this will feel like going to the dentist. And I had that in my head and I was like, okay, dentist. I can do dentists. Okay. I got this. And it was just a really great tip. I don't know if that's, if that'll help anyone else. Yeah, no. Gynecologists are always in competition with the dentist. Like, who do you hate more? Who do you love more? Like, (laughs) um, so... (laughs) 
<laughs> dentists usually people like the dentist better, but you know, it's also, um, I also tell my patients for their first exam, like, you know, if you're kind of on the fence and you're not really sure if you want to or not, or how comfortable you feel, you know, it's something that it's always, always better to have that first experience in a relaxed, non-painful situation. Like if you're just coming for a checkup, like your first time, let me see what this exam is about, as opposed to, oh my God, I'm in so much pain. I have bleeding all over the place. I have this crazy discharge. Like what's wrong with me? Then you're like, okay, I've been through this before. I know what the exam is going to be like, because I had it when I was chilled out and relaxed and nothing was wrong. Now I feel better about like, I have to go and get this checked out. Not a big deal. Like I, I know what that entails as opposed to like having that intense fear and like nervousness when, oh my God, is something wrong with me? Like, how am I going to, who's going to check this for me? Like, I don't get exams like that. Um, so that um, that's also a really like good kind of way to think about it. Like get it over with when you're fine. Like when there's no symptoms. Right. Yeah. Like a pap smear is not a big deal. And if that's your, one of your first experiences, then, you know, it doesn't really hurt and it's over in five seconds. And you, and just to get used to the idea that, yeah, like a doctor needs to be down there, especially if you're planning on having kids, like there will be a lot of people involved. So kind of just getting used to it. And it also, you know, especially, um, I'm presuming that you deal, especially in your telemedicine practices with more, with a mostly Orthodox clientele. Um, for the Mm -hmm. most part, this is not true across the board. Um, the, Orthodox women are generally not sexually active until they're married. So there's been a lot of discussion around the fact that you're really going from zero to 60 in one night, um, where, you know, in some cases you maybe may or may not have even touched the guy, you know, held his hand. And then it's like, oh, okay, we're going to sleep together now, which can be a very, it's a big deal. It's a big jump to go from, you know, from one, from one to the other. And, you know, kind of, if you're, if you've been in a situation where, you know, no one who isn't like your parent or grandparent has ever like hugged or kissed you. And then you're right away being like, okay, doctor wants to be all up in my business. That's, that's a big step. And you do need to make those steps slowly. For sure. Um, you know, you know, back to your, your first comment about, you know, most, yes, most of the patients that I do see on telemedicine are, um, Orthodox Jewish women. Um, and most of them have never had sex before. Um, if we're talking about someone who's getting married. Um, But that's not always true. Um, And, you know, a lot of assumptions are made. And as a gynecologist, I can ask all those really like abrupt, um, kind of direct, hey, have you had sex before? Questions, even though I'm from, they're from, everyone's religious here. We we have these assumptions. But you know what? Like once you're in my virtual office or physical office, like that goes away. You know, that I can ask whatever I need to ask and you can tell me whatever you need to tell me. Like this is a safe place. I mean, legally, this is all totally confidential, right? So, you know, I definitely see a different side sometimes. And I'm I'm not out here to say that every Orthodox girl is sexually active. I'm just saying that you, I I don't think we can assume things. Um, And that, um, you know, that really coming in with that, like comfort of like having this relationship with a doctor who gets you and who isn't going to, um, you know, judge you for anything. And just like, oh, okay, fine. Or like, hey, we got this far, but 
no, we didn't fully have sex. Okay, great, whatever. Like, what kind of birth control do you want? Do you need? You know, those are those are questions that kind of naturally come after that. But um, yeah, so when you when you're going from like zero to sixty for for many women who who do, um, I, one of the things I like to talk about, which I think has become a lot more of the discussion, like in college classes, which are um, classes given to new brides about the Jewish laws surrounding. Um, having a sexual life with your husband um, in relation to um, laws related to sex around your period bleeding. Um, and we can get more into that if you want, but I feel like it's become a little bit more um, prevalent these days for um, new brides to get the attitude of it's okay if you don't have sex right away. Like that's fine. Um, you know, you, you, if you've gone from zero to 60 or a hundred even, that's super scary and like overwhelming. And like, is this first sexual experience gonna be a bad one because you felt forced or it was really painful? Like, do you need to work up to that? And it can take a few days. And you know, when I when I see brides who they like to push their period off so they don't get at their wedding and we do it with a specific type of progesterone, I'm like, here's an extra week. Here's an extra two weeks of it. Don't feel like, you're gonna, you need to get your period right away because you've had sex, you know, right away. That may not happen. Like give yourself time, take that pressure off. You're not gonna get your period. I know we're kind of going into some details of, of like the laws, but um, you know, it's really important for you to feel as a patient and as a new bride and as an Orthodox woman and as just a woman in general to really feel comfortable with the decisions that you made and feel like they're right for you. Um, and you know, if relevant, talk about it with your sexual partner. Um, and telemedicine as gives me the time to do that. Also in the office, you know, I have a little bit of less time because I'm constrained by my office schedule, but um, it really is a way to, to um, like ask your questions and feel more comfortable about what behaviors you're going to be experiencing now. Right. And it's also, you know, much in the same way that you said that, like, if you were seeing, let's say, a, a someone who was an NOB who was not Jewish, who would just kind of assume that, you know, who wouldn't present your options of birth control for you, because they would just see someone orthodox and be like, oh, she must want 15 babies, and then just not present that as an option. On the flip side, if you're seeing an orthodox OB, don't, you know, there, there shouldn't be that assumption that it's like, okay, this is someone who's doing everything. I don't want to say like the right or wrong way, have sex the way you want to have sex. Like that's to two consenting adults and I'm, and I'm happy, like truly no judgments here. Um, right. but you know, if you're, if you're seeing someone who is assuming that you're, you know, that you're, that you're not active up, up until marriage or that you're only active with your husband or that your husband is only active with you or whatever the situation may be, all of that are things that, that also need to be taken into consideration. And it's, it's also just this baseline of, you know, have open and honest conversations with your doctor so that they can properly serve you and, and, and speak up sure. when, when there's something that you hear that's going on that, you know, maybe doesn't align exactly with what your life is. You're right. That is a legally binding confidential situation. And your doctor should know these things about you. So for sure, let them know. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've even just in my office practice, I've had some Orthodox women come to me and they're like either on their second or third kid and I didn't deliver their previous ones. And, you know, we're at the postpartum visit. I'm like, okay, so what do you want for birth control? They're like, what? No one's ever asked me that before. I'm like, what do you mean? That's like a normal postpartum visit question. Um, you know, if you want, they're like, and you know, these are people who've had a baby every 12 to 15 months because no one has ever talked to them about it. And whether they wanted that or not is what it is. But like sometimes by that third kid, they're like, yeah, I'd like something, you know? Um, but like, if you're never asked that question and 
because that's just a normal postpartum question, regardless of if you're Jewish, Orthodox, whatever. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to like take the background away and be like, okay, medically, what is responsible of me as a doctor to ask? You can say no, that's fine, you know, but but you can't assume that based on someone's lifestyle, they want a certain thing. Right. When you work, um, when you work within the Orthodox community, is there a, a what's kind of like the baseline level of education that you see happening? Do you, do you feel like the women that are coming into your practice, um, really across the board, not specifically Orthodox are like aware of what is happening in their bodies and, and, and what, and just, and just how stuff works and what they should be keeping an eye out for? So I think it's, it's probably a bigger mix. Um, I mean, there's definitely women who, and I'm trying not to use the word girls, even though sometimes I feel like I'm seeing girls <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you know, engaged, very still in their teens. And um, so, but yes, they're women. So I'm really trying to change that language for myself. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, a lot of women getting married, um, especially like right out of seminary, which is like the year. Um, You're talking about 19 year olds, yeah. basically. 19, right. 18, 19, um, 20, 22. So really like, you know, kind of their last education was either out of high school um, or more of like a religious year, like study year, or maybe like a degree um, online or, um, you know, like a college um, program where like maybe they're, they're still living at home and they're not like off to college, like, you know, more secular lifestyle, I guess. Um, and there's really not a lot of education of women's health, female anatomy, sexual health um, in Orthodox Jewish schools. And I'm not saying that across the board at all. Like there are, I'd say a a little bit more on the modern side, there definitely is great education with that, both for both boys and girls. Um, But, you know, and it also really, really depends on the home. So if the mom, like your mom is like, hey, this is a normal thing, this is important, we're gonna do this, I'm gonna do this for my daughter, then definitely there, um, you know, some women are more informed as they get to this point in their life. But um, in general, I, I really don't think there's good education about it. So um, that's that's honestly my like confident Kala Instagram, which I'm like, kind of try to put that education out. I have plans for maybe something more formal one day if I have time. But, um, you know, Instagram allows me to get out some basic education that like people should know, you know, and it's not like I have to do tons of research on it. This is what I talk about all day. This is just normal girly stuff that you should know if you have a vagina, if you have breasts, if you have a uterus, right? Um, That um, are like, oh, I didn't know that happened. And I get that all the time. And um, I think it's super important to- So what are some of those baseline things? What are the things that everybody listening here should know about the way that their body works? Right. Number one, anatomy, for sure. Like, where's your clitoris? Where do you pee from? You don't pee from and you don't bleed from the same place, right? And that you would think like, people are like, oh, if I put a tampon in, like, can I pee? Right? So that kind of a question, which I get all the time implies- I don't know where I'm bleeding from when I get a period and I don't know where I'm peeing from. This is a basic external anatomy that you can find by putting a mirror down there and looking, right? Um, then internal anatomy, like, hey, like, where does a baby go? Um, how does it get there? Um, so basic kind of like conception, fertilization um, education. Um, also 
fertility awareness. And that's not something you have to have when you're like trying to have a baby. It's something you should know when you start having sex, right? Like when, when am I able to get pregnant? And if I don't want to be, what do I need to do? And how careful do I need to be? And if I do want to be great, now I'm like really aware. And I'm not just like, Hey, why am I not getting pregnant? If you're not having sex at the wrong time. Um, so cycle anatomy, um, and then kind of a brief, understanding of like what's normal, what's not normal. So if you get your normal 28 day cycle, you bleed for five days, your periods are comfortable, great. Like you don't have those questions, but if you're like, I just don't feel like something's right, but I just don't know who to go to. I don't know how to quantify it. I, no one else has had this experience because like, we don't talk about this stuff. Like what should I expect or what, what should I be, you know, worried about or get checked out? Right. What is, what are one of the most common things you see that, that you, that you hear and you're like, no, that's not normal. That needs to go to a doctor. Like what is the thing that people tend to overlook the most? Um, I would say anything involving pain during sex. Um, I think a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of sex talk between like religious girls and their friends. Um, Cause it, it is generally like in, in Judaism, it is kind of more of a private thing between a couple. Um, and I don't think, um, Orthodox girls will, or women will talk about that much. Um, and people just kind of accept it like, oh yeah, this is just kind of what it's supposed to be, I guess. Um, but really it shouldn't, you know, like, and, and I, I do, tr- especially when I'm seeing a woman who is getting married soon, I always say like, look, the first couple of times may not be great, may not be comfortable, may have a little bit of bleeding, but like, if this is happening more than a few times, this is not okay. Go see someone like get an exam done, you know, address this. This is not something that you should accept. Um, so that that's probably the main thing. Yeah. So any, anything more than like, let's say the first handful of times after that, definitely, definitely get some help. This is a, this is an activity that should be fun for all the parties. Exactly. Right. Sex is supposed to be enjoyable for sure. Right. Exactly. So with, with your practice and, and specifically with your education, I'm curious if you've ever gotten any pushback about, you know, being so, like we said, you know, we, we, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about vaginas. It's not something that we really do in a broader sense is have, have you gotten any flack for being so open about these topics? Most definitely. Yes. Um, I don't want to like give names or anything, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, in the beginning and I've had my practice for about a year now, um, almost a year, I guess. And, you know, I, in the beginning, of course, whenever you have a new business, right. You like to try to advertise. And I definitely tried to be in touch with some of the more, um, like the bigger Jewish organizations, um, and I kind of told them what I was about and like, definitely did not use the word vagina, did not use the word sex, mm-hmm. right? Like I am careful. I am like, I, You're I'm not an helping. idiot. I'm not, no, and I'm not. Um, and you know, my plug was really like, Hey, um, you know, this is a way for girls or sorry, sorry, I keep saying girls, stop it. Um, for women to, you know, be able to not have their period during their wedding. Like this is, this is a good, you know, investment for everyone. Like you want your brides to be comfortable and happy and, and the timing of everything work out. Right. Um, but you know, and I also, a big part of what I do and what I feel is important is the education part of it and the education as young as we can get, like start your puberty talk in middle school, start your sex talk in high school or, you know, there's there's different conversations we can have about when we should start all of those but from a very like 
Orthodox Jewish perspective, I feel like that's the most, I guess, palatable for like schedule for people to kind of be okay with. Um, and like, make that happen. Don't send me a Kala who's 19 and she doesn't know how babies are made. That's not okay, right? Even if she has no sexual experience, she has to know. Um, she's gonna be pregnant in three months, right? Like you gotta, you you have to know this. And so when I when I kind of like started being kind of bigger on the education piece of it and like talking about, can we do this a little bit younger than when, you're first learning about sexual behavior and the laws of marriage and periods and bleeding and everything once you're married. I got a lot of pushback for that. I'm like, you know what? That just doesn't like really, that's just not something we want to, um, you know, kind of promote right now. Or this is not something that, you know, is really in line with where we're going. And, you know, and like, yes, we can talk about women's health once you're married. Well, you know, that's not okay. Right. So, so I definitely, I think I had to take a step back and was like, and, and instead of trying to, I don't want to say push myself because I'm definitely not an aggressive person, but I don't want to, I didn't want to like push my mission on people who were not really willing to accept it. So I kind of, in my, in this past year, I've kind of been through a lot of like thoughts on this and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. Instagram allows me that it's my page, right? And not controlled by anyone, but me, I am going to put out my information. Um, you can take what you want. If you don't like me, you don't have to listen to me, right? You can take what you want. And I find that people take it, you know, and it's something that, cause, because you need it, like they need it because they haven't gotten it. Um, so, you know, I've taken more of like a, a little step back of like, Hey, this is me here. I am do what you will with it. I'm so happy to talk to you and see you as a patient or just be that education piece for you. Um, but I'm kind of done with the pushing myself. I'm like the bigger. I hear that. And I think that also, like I even last night you were, um, you were sharing some stories. It was, um, we're recording this on July 2nd. So the residency switch was right, yesterday. yesterday. Yes. Um, yes. was yesterday. So we were talking a lot about being in, you know, OB in residency and, and all of that. And I don't remember exactly how it came up, but there was someone, there was a message that you reposted to your stories that said that someone there was born in 2004, which makes them 17, which right. like, <laughs> right. right. I was like, wait, well, I got that message. I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing the math. And I'm like, it's late at night. I'm like, I can't even do the math right now. Um, but I think you're really young, which makes me feel old. <laughs> exactly. But also you are still reaching that audience right. because I mean, anyone who thinks that they're a teenager doesn't have access to social media is delusional. So right. the, Look, that's why you should talk to your teenagers about this stuff, by the way, because otherwise they're just yes. going to hide it from you. You don't want them exactly. finding big, bad people like Alyssa on the internet. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's that kind of thing where you're still reaching those, those people. If, if there's, if there's someone listening um, here, I'm sure there are plenty of moms listening to this who want to have those conversations with their daughters. How should those conversations go? What's in, is there kind of an easy way to broach these topics that are probably a little bit uncomfortable for everyone involved? And what are the topics that they should make sure that they're covering when they do that? Right. So I think it really depends on the age of your kid. Um, for instance, I have a 12 year old girl. I have one girl, she's 12 and she's a gynecologist daughter. So like she could teach the class at age eight, right? Um, but hey, how did how does she get to that point? Like, why does it matter that she's a gynecologist daughter? Um, what you know? What I actually started with um, 
the American Girl book. So not like a frummy book, not a book that's like, oh, you're so, this is like a beautiful vessel, which, you know, is fine. They definitely are, there are some books um, out there that I have not used, so I don't know the titles of them, but I, I know that people have, have mentioned them to me um, from an Orthodox Jewish perspective. But I really like the American Girl um, books about your body and what it's doing over puberty. And I'm like, you know what? here, read this, and then we're going to talk. Not come to me with questions, because the come to me with questions is so open. She may not come to me with questions. So I'm like, here, read this book, and then I'm going to come to you with questions. So so when you're a mom talking to your daughter, or or a, a woman who is, it doesn't have to be mom-daughter, can just be like, advisor, you know, like older sister, younger sister, whatever, someone who you're able to have a good conversation with and feel comfortable with. Um, don't just say, hey, ask me questions. Allow them a schedule a time or allow them to know that we are going to talk about this. This isn't something you're going to get out of because I know you have questions. Don't tell me you don't have questions. Like, of course you have questions, right? Um, so let's go over them. Um, and, but you've had that background. You, you're able to like in your own time and in your, with your own privacy, be able to read it and not feel like, oh my God, I'm getting like the most uncomfortable lecture from my mom or from my teacher. And like, I just want to melt into the floor. Like, being able to do something on your own and absorb that information, reread the paragraphs, um, you know, and then be like, okay, let's talk about this. Um, what questions do you have when I'm sitting face to face with you? Not like, hey, let me know when you want to talk. Um, so that I think that's really, that's a good way to do it for kind of like a puberty age girl. Um, and then work up to the sex talk in a few years, whenever they're ready, when you start having questions, like, I mean, how did that baby get in there? You know, like when they see a pregnant woman walking, like when you start getting those questions, I remember my daughter started asking me that like 5.30 PM, like we're sitting there making dinner. My younger boys are around. I'm like, Naomi, can we, we're just, we're just going to talk about this at a different time. I, I know you asked me, we are definitely going to talk about it. Um, and then one day we were in the car alone and I just like brought it up and I'm like, you remember that question that you asked me? Like, let's talk about it, you know? And it was like kind of a more relaxed environment. Um, and I think it went really well. Um, you know, when, if you've kind of avoided these conversations and by conversations, I mean like what your body's changing, like the period, you know, talk, what all that means, um, you know, and menstrual hygiene, tampons, pads, like all that stuff. So that's included in the puberty conversation. But then if you haven't had any of these conversations, especially like how does a baby happen? Um, and then all of a sudden your daughter's engaged and getting married and everyone just assumes, oh, she'll, she'll figure this out from college classes or from, you know, her, her teacher who's teaching her the laws of like Jewish, um, the Jewish laws related to like a sexual life and periods. Um, you know, that's, that's really hard on a girl, I think, you know, it's, it's something, a woman, sorry, I keep, I keep doing that, uh, but it's, it's really hard because you're, it's just, a, you know, people just assume that you're going to know what to do, but really you don't know anything, um, so that may be a good opportunity, too, of like, hey, look, you know, I know this is a new part of your life. We're going to talk about it. You may be so like mortified and you may, you may think this is the most awkward thing, but I'm just going to get out what I want to say. And maybe it'll turn into a conversation, you know, like 
like make it happen. Don't ask if it should happen. Um, I think that's kind of the best way because they, they can, they then know, like, even if I don't have questions and even if this is the most uncomfortable conversation I'm having with my mom, I know that she wants, she's okay talking about it. And so if I have questions later on, I can come to her and ask. Right. It makes, it makes the mom a safe place where those questions are not just kind of thrown under the rug. The notion, it always fascinates me, this notion that like someone who their only qualification is that they've gotten engaged would just know how stuff works when they have absolutely no education in it one way or the other is mind boggling to me because yeah, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who had to just kind of figure out what goes where. And I'm sure that there are plenty of people who had, you know, traumatic experiences with that or less than wonderful experiences with something like that. And this feeling of, okay, I figured it out so she can just figure it out. And even if that was less than ideal for me, it'll, you know, it's less than ideal for everyone or it's, you know, it's, it's not great for, it's, I just don't want to deal with it. So, and then it's like, I did it. She can do it too, whatever. Like she'll be fine. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, it's, you know, we can do better. We can do so much better just by being more open about these topics and by, and, and by giving people the, the space and the, and the, just the platform to be able to do it. Out of curiosity though. In telemedicine, do you need to be certified in the state that your patients are in? Yeah, so I have licenses in um, four different states, um, and I can't prescribe anything to anyone in any of those states, like unless they're in that state. So yes, my medical license, I have. I, I'm in the middle of applying for more, so hopefully that will hmm. will happen soon. Um, but um, and they're they're all kind of expensive to apply for, so I kind of started slowly. Um, but yes, um, it's a totally like legal, legit practice. Like I'm not just, hey, talking to anyone who wants to talk to me. Um, but I do, I do. yes, I need a license in every state. What are those four states that you're licensed in? Uh, Wisconsin, where I live, um, Illinois, Florida, and New York. Okay. That so is... I'm hoping for New Jersey soon. It's coming, it's coming. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and that goes by where your patients are. So you can see people right. in those four states. You can't see someone in Texas, let's say. Okay. Good yeah. to, good to know everybody. Yes. Yes. I do feel like the culture is changing and like, you can see it and like, we'll know 10 years from now if it's changed. But, um, I think there's, um, people are much more open about talking about problems and awareness of things. And I do think that college teachers and rabbis and Rebbitsons are really seeing a lot more sexual dysfunction and, relationship dysfunction related to like a physical aspect of the relationship lately. And I think they're realizing like, maybe if we educated our children more, like it would change. Like maybe if, if we didn't have this trauma of zero to 60 or, you know, figure it out on your own mentality that that would change. So I, I do see little inklings of things really getting better. So that's very encouraging to me. Yeah. And, and I would have to agree also. I mean, I don't know if this is something that I've just become more aware of since I've been married or if it's just something that's been more spoken about since I've been married. I'm, my fourth anniversary is coming up. And awesome. thank you. Um, and yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's it, you know, it, it comes, it, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's probably a little bit of a combination of the two of kind of, you know, becoming more aware and also just it being more out in the open. And I really think that there's only good that can come from that you know there's only for sure um there's only listen like we're all gonna have sex at some point or another so we should all know how to do it it's just 
you know, at some point or another, in some way or another, that's, that's probably something that's going to be a part of most people's lives. So, right. And I think that, you know, Judaism really values the relationship between a husband and a wife or who, you know, who's ever having sex with each other. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. It's a good thing. And, but there's so, because there's also a really like big concept of modesty, which, Hey, you're, you're a part of Mm. making your beautiful dresses, um, where people can feel modest, but cute. Um, you know, that's such an, and modesty also doesn't just apply to how we dress and what we wear. It also applies to how we live our life. So, you know, people really in an Orthodox Jewish community have a really hard time talking about things that are private because, you know, it's, it's a, you don't talk about these things. That's not like modest. That's not, you know, it's not like an appropriate conversation that I have with my friends talking about my sex life and my husband. That's like private between me and him, right? Um, So there's this like, almost this like nervousness and shame of like, can we, I can't talk about this with anyone. Um, But we're, I think we're seeing now that like, you know what, it's okay to talk about it in the right context, in the right forum with the right people. Like you don't have to shout out on Facebook and Instagram, like, Hey, this is what my sex life is like. Right. Like there's, there's a line. Right. Um, but you know, I think, I think the Jewish community is really starting, is, is starting to be a little bit better about like at least bringing awareness to when you should talk to someone as opposed to just like, I'm not even going to talk about sex or gynecology or anything like that. Like women's health is important. Sexual health is important. What can we start to talk about to make it so people are more informed and more aware and that will hopefully lead to less dysfunction? Here, here. That sounds like a very great mantra. (laughs) If somebody wants to learn more about you, Alyssa, or schedule an appointment, where can they go? So um, you can find me in a few places. Um, One is my website, theconfidentkala.com. Kala is spelled K-A-L-L-A-H. And so you can make an appointment through there. Um, Also on Instagram, you can make an appointment through like my my profile page. Um, And Instagram is really where I put out a lot of my education. And I chose Instagram because there, I feel like as opposed to Facebook, there's really also um, a younger um, group of people on Instagram. Um, I'm aging myself because I was on Facebook first. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, and that's where I really get my education out. But you definitely can still like click on the little book now. Um, I do post my hours weekly for like the upcoming week every Thursday. Um, And also on Facebook, there's a little book me now, but I'm not like super active on Facebook. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's where you can find me. That sounds fantastic. The last question that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Alyssa Hellman, what does it mean to make an impact? What does it mean to make an impact? Um, I think making an impact to me is putting out valuable information in a non-threatening, comfortable way that people are willing to receive um, and where it really can make an impact on their lives. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Alyssa, her links are in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, a clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. 
see my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 11 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fentman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.